excited, excited, excited about what we have today because we are continuing our journey in the Advent season. That's what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks. Um, and uh, look, let's just say it, the countdown is on, right? I mean, we are, it is getting real. Now, let's just have a moment. I want you to look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. Just look directly at me. How many of you have not bought a single Christmas present yet? Anybody in the house? A couple hands are being raised. You know what? I used to be like you. I did, but I made a commitment last year to, to really try to up my game up, but it's challenging. I still haven't gotten anything for my mom. Now, here's the thing. I did get the gift for my brother's kid because I've made a commitment as an uncle to give the most dangerous, loud gifts as possible. And so for my brother's six-year-old son, I got him a three-foot-long machete. All right, and I cannot wait for him to open it and my brother to be like, what are you doing? And be like, you should play with this, Knox. This is going to be fun. Last year, I got Knox an air horn, which was also a great time. So <laughs> I've taken care of gifts like that, but I still haven't gotten gifts like for my mom. Moms are hard, man. What, what do you give someone who's given you everything, right? A candle, usually. So we've got to go get a candle for mom. Uh, but, the, you know, the, the thing is, is that I, I, I oftentimes work best when the heat is on. Any last minute idea getters in the house, right? Like when, when, when the timeline, when it's like December 23rd, that's when the greatness hits me. You know what I'm saying? That's when like that great gift is, is going to come to pass. Most of the time I can't pull off that gift, so I have to settle for a candle. But I have a great idea for next year, which I forget and then remember, so my mom gets a lot of candles. But we are at the end, man. We're right there. We're, we're like a week away from Christmas Eve. Uh, things are, are, are getting crazy. Kids are getting off school. Uh, college students are gone for the holidays. If you're here back home, welcome. Uh, I saw a couple of our guys who are, are home from uh, Texas A&M. Uh, yep, I knew that was going to happen. And Baylor. And Baylor, sick them, all right? Uh, and uh, it's, it's good to see everybody. Uh, but just to catch us all up, man, Advent is amazing, like I've said, week in and week out, because we're, we're joining with the global church, uh, uh, all of our hearts focusing around just this anticipation, expectation, if you will, of the power of Jesus's coming. And, and um, we, we've been leaning into the fact that Jesus was a funeral interrupter, amen, that Jesus interrupted funerals in the Bible, and Jesus is interrupting the dead places in our lives, and it's because he has engaged us in our pain and hurt that we can have hope, amen, we can have hope in who he is, not what we hope he does, we can experience a hope that will not disappoint us or fail us because he will never disappoint us and fail us if we put our hope in him. And last week we talked about how Jesus came and therefore peace has come. That we can experience a peace that surpasses all understanding. And it doesn't matter what storms are swirling around us. There is a peace for us because he is with us so we can experience hope we can experience peace and we're going to continue in this season of reflection that we call advent we're going to be looking at 
another aspect of what we have access to because Jesus came into the world. And that is joy. That Jesus has come to give us joy. And I think for me, and I hope for you as well, it only gets clearer and clearer that Jesus is really all that we need. And that's where the challenge sometimes can come in this time of year, right? That's where the struggle can emerge because this time of year revolves around things that we want, right? Thank you, Instagram algorithm. I didn't know I needed a new pair of suede boots, but now I do, right? How many of you are now aware of something that you can't live without that you didn't even know existed last month? right? Don't raise your hand because it's everybody, right? And you're like, thank you algorithms that know me better than I know myself. And this is where we begin to lose a little bit of what really matters is because we give gifts and I love giving gifts and I love receiving gifts. I'm a size 10 Tacoma suede ropers. I love (laughs) receiving gifts. But the reason we do that whole thing, the reason we Give gifts to one another is actually because we have been given the most precious gift in Jesus. And when we lose that Jesus, let's use a phrase from my dad, Papa Griff, the reason for the season. Jesus is the reason for the season. And when we begin to lose that and we start to think, you know what, I really need a new Lexus with a bow on top on Christmas morning. What I really need is a heart necklace from Kay's Jewelers, which I've come to find out, dudes, girls don't really like those, just so you know. It's marketed to us because we think, you know what they want is a heart. Because if you ask a girl, they're never going to go to a jewelry store and buy themselves a heart necklace. Just that's, just a, that's free. That's a free one. If you already bought the heart necklace, they're going to love it. They're going to love it. It's the thought that counts, right? It, what, that, but we don't... We don't really need that. We, we don't need that. Jesus is all that we need. I want to spend a little bit of time talking about who Jesus is today. Because I, I don't think you can really understand joy if you don't understand the gift. That Jesus was fully God and was fully man. And he took it upon himself to do the greatest rescue mission of all time. The rescue mission of making a way out for me and for you from the traps of the enemy. The enemy of the world, our own flesh and the devil who wants to steal, who wants to kill and destroy all that God has for us. And he does that through telling us lies about who we are and who we are not. He does that through putting fear on us about what might happen or what might happen to those around us or through the destruction that sin creates in our lives. But because Jesus came... He made a way for us to experience not just life with him for eternity, but hope, peace, and joy in this life as we live for him. We're not in a holding pattern 
until we get to heaven. We're here to see Jesus establish the kingdom of heaven on earth. Because as the kingdom of heaven becomes established in us, it affects what's around us. The passage that we have been leading out with for the past few weeks is Luke 2. And I want to do it again. I want to read it again because this is the birth announcement of Jesus. This is the, the kickoff of this rescue mission that impacted all of us. And it says this in verse 1. In those days... Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Cornelius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house in the line of David. And he went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. And she wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, because I bring you good news that will cause great joy. If you have your Bible, I want you to underline that. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And there will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angels, singing or praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. And what we are going to be leaning in today is birthed in verse 10, when the angels said, I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. This morning, we're talking about joy, a joy that is called a great joy. And the title of my talk, if you want to write this down on the top of your notes, because you know I I love a good note taker, you can write down, turn down for what? Turn down for what? And you can say, little John has nothing on Jesus. You can put that underneath really, really small. This morning, we're talking about a great joy. You know, I, I think it's, it's cool to read Luke 2, but really, if we just jump into the story, this is like a Polaroid picture of a moment that had been thousands of years in the making. And you can lose a little bit of the power of the moment. Now, let's just be really clear. It's cool enough, Luke 2, you just take Luke 2. Wow! Crazy! What a crazy miracle story. A virgin Mary pledged to be married to a dude named Joseph. 
If we would have read the story in Matthew or in Mark, we would have seen that Joseph had his own visitation with an angel telling him, don't divorce Mary. This is actually legit. And it says that Joseph didn't lie with her, didn't have sex with her until Jesus was born. That's the second miracle of Christmas. Okay, and so like this is like a wow moment. Like, are you kidding me? Like, this is crazy what's being written here. But when you understand, when you zoom out a little bit past the angels just breaking into the scene and and disrupting the lives of these shepherds and declaring over them, hey, look, we have some good news for you. (laughs) Sorry. Woo! It's good news. Let me drink a little water. We have some good news for you that's going to cause some joy to come out of you. When you understand what was happening before that moment, it gets even more powerful. Heaven opened, angels talking, crazy stuff happening. But you have to understand that the 400 years before that happened, the heavens were silent. The book of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament. If you're new to church or new to the Bible, the Bible is broken up into two parts. The Old Testament, which to oversimplify it, is life before Jesus was on the earth. And the Old Testament points to our need for a Savior and prophesies about the coming of Jesus. Everything in the Old Testament is pointing towards Jesus. Then you have the New Testament, which again, to oversimplify it, is life with Jesus. He came on the earth. He lived a perfect life then surrendered himself to be killed on a cross for our sin. Because you have to understand that the righteousness of God and the sinfulness of man, they don't work together. They're they're oil and water. Maybe you've heard the term old covenant and new covenant or maybe you've heard the law or the law of Moses and what those things were they were governing principles for the people of God to understand how they become righteous in the eyes of God because of the sinful life that they were living and so there were things that they were commanded to do there were things that they were to be obedient to so that the sin that was in them could be atoned by the living God and that they would be forgiven. We are, we're all sinful people. And the sins of the people before Jesus came on the earth were atoned for by practices that God gave the people to perform so that their sins could be Forgiven. And this is the big why Jesus came. Because Jesus came to be the final sacrifice. The final sacrifice to atone for my sin, your sin, and everyone else's sin. So that we could walk with God. He did that by living a sinless life, dying on a cross, then conquering sin and death by coming back to life after three days. And he did it all for you, and he did it all for me so that we could have relationship with him. 
the grand plan of the salvation of mankind, of Jesus coming to the earth, was put into motion when Jesus was born as a baby in a manger through a virgin named Mary. Think about how much God loves us, that the God of the universe was so committed to relationship with you that he left heaven to live among us as one of us with the sole purpose of saving us. It's amazing. It's amazing. The intentionality of the God that we serve and this incredible rescue mission to atone for the sins of humanity and restore relationship with God started with a bold declaration in Luke 2 as the angels appeared to the shepherds and said, I bring you good news. And with that phrase, I bring you good news, 400 years of silence, 400 years of heaven saying nothing was broken. The book of Malachi was written 400 years before, approximately, 400 years before this radical declaration of Jesus' coming. And Malachi was a prophet of God. And what he was instructed to do was to plea with the people of God to turn from their wickedness and return to God and how he's called them to live. The book of Malachi is pleading with the people of God to return to the ways of God. And after Malachi gets this understanding of heaven, proclaims it to the people, the heavens go silent for 400 years. And that 400 years is commonly referred to the years of silence. You know what? I don't do silence well. Anybody else, like, just love silence? Now, I'm learning to like it. But here's what I want to differentiate here. This silence and peace and quiet are not the same thing. I, I don't like silence that's noisy. No, that was beautiful. That's a joyful noise. Worship right there. But I don't like silence that is noisy, okay? The kind of silence that almost cost me my marriage. This is a true story. I've been married to my beautiful wife who's serving any kids today. Her name is Liz. We've been married for over 20 years. Can I get an amen? We've crossed over to the amount of years where people clap when you say it. You know, before that, you know, like we've been married for 12 years. People are like, hang in there. Something about 20, everybody's like, yeah, way to go, bro. You know, you're like, every year's work, dude, every year. We're in it to win it, man. But for real, this is, this is for real. We almost didn't even get married because of a game at our engagement retreat. True story, we're at this engagement retreat. Now, we would, they would break up these sessions that we were doing with games that had purpose. Okay, And the game that we were playing that almost took us out was a game about the importance of good communication. 
And how we were going to play this game is that they would put blindfolds on the dudes. They would take the ladies, or take the shoes off the ladies, put all of the girls' shoes in the middle of the floor. All right? And there's like probably like 15 or 20 couples. There's a lot of people. They put all the shoes in the middle of the floor. And then how you, how you win is that you're the first to find your wife's shoes blindfolded and then get to your wife and put them on her feet. Simple. Right? How this is going to happen is that your fiance is supposed to be communicating to you about where her shoes are so that you could listen to what she's saying, find the shoes, and come home with the victory. That's how it's supposed to go down. That's not how it went down. They said three, two, one, go. It's chaos. It's pandemonium. I'm getting hit with shoes. You know, it's crazy. And I don't hear a single thing from Liz. No words, no direction. I hear other people's wives hollering, or fiancés, hollering at them. Go to your right, go to your left. I hear Liz is saying nothing, okay? So I'm a little competitive. I get a little angry, and I'm like, okay, well, if we're not going to play offense, I sure as heck could play a little defense. I start grabbing shoes and throwing them across the room. Just like I grab a shoe, I'm hucking it, grab a shoe, I'm throwing it, okay? Now, this goes on for what feels like eternity. My blood is boiling. They finally just say, game. I take my blindfold off. I'm the only guy left, okay? But let me tell you what really almost ended our marriage. Can I tell you? Is that we were beat by a couple. The dude was deaf, How? How did we, how did I lose to a deaf guy that was blindfolded? All right. I'm so mad. I don't, I can't even, I, I couldn't even tell you what we talked about in the session. I have no idea. No idea. After that, we go on a walk and this is for real our conversation. I don't know if I could do this. Liz is like, what? I'm like, you're a, obviously a loser. You don't care about anything. She's like, you're stupid. This is a dumb game where you're trying to find my shoes, and you had them in your hand, but you're an idiot, and you threw them. I'm like, I didn't know because you weren't saying anything. And, you know, we're having, like, this deal. We're supposed to be like, oh, can you feel the love in the house? And we're about to, like, I just, don't, I just don't think I can be with you because you know what happened? When I couldn't hear Liz's voice, ooh, I could really start hearing my voice. And in the silence, it got noisy because I'm like, you know what? Liz is not a winner as I'm throwing shoes. She doesn't care about the things you care about. Thankfully, we had a little bonus session over lunch with the people that were running the joint, and they kept us together. But we were banned from playing any other games for the rest of the weekend. <laughs> that's silly, right? That's dumb. It doesn't make sense. It's a stupid game. That kind of thing, it, it doesn't really matter in the scheme of life. But um, when you're in a moment when you need God to speak to you, you need God to lead you, to guide you, to 
comfort you and you feel like the heavens are silent and there's nothing, you're, you're hearing nothing and you're like, God, I need to know where to go. I need to know where to live. God, I need to know where to go to school. God, I need to know if I should keep dating this person. God, I need to know what you're calling me to do. I need to know what job I should take. And it feels like nothing but silence. And in those moments of silence, our minds can begin to wonder. In our, in our wondering, this little silly scenario that happened with me and Liz gets a lot more serious when we start going, God, I don't know if this is going to work. God, I don't know if this is going to work. And that's right where the people of Israel were before this Luke 2, heavens open up, breaking through the silence, declaring we have good news of great joy. They were living in the noise of silence. The prophet Isaiah does a great job of describing what the years of silence, what it did to the hearts of the people. It says this in Isaiah 8 verse 21, that the people had become distressed and hungry and they will roam through the land when they are famished and they will become enraged looking upward and will curse their king and their God. And then they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness, fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness. That's exactly what silence can start to sound like. Like when, when heaven feels silent over something that you really need heaven to speak into, you're like, dude, I'm feeling distressed, I'm hungry, I'm confused, I'm angry, because silence can shape not just how we feel, but how we feel about God. And the temptation for all of us in moments of silence in our lives is to pull away from God because we begin to think that silence is God pulling away from us, but that's not what it is. That's not what it is at all. And if you look at the next verse in Isaiah, the next chapter in Isaiah 9, which is this prophecy of the coming of Jesus that was written 700 years before his birth. This is what it says. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom. Isaiah 8, the impact of the human heart that is tempted to think that God has left them. Isaiah 9, the prophecy of the coming king, Jesus Isaiah 8, the impact of silence. Isaiah 9, the impact of hearing. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. Say great light. Have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned for to us a child is born. To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. The shepherds that were in the fields that night, they would have known 
about this prophecy. They would have been familiar with Isaiah 9. They would have been waiting in their hearts for this great light to dawn and the wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father and prince of peace to come and to take over the world and restore all that had been broken. And now they find themselves in the nevertheless moment. They're sitting on a hill doing their jobs. And then the nevertheless moment happens. The heavens open. They're speaking again. And Jesus releases the rescue mission of the earth. God's declaration to the people broke open the silence of heaven. And it shattered it by declaring God's nearness. I think this is where the magic in us beginning to walk in real joy is, is that we realize that even though we might not be hearing what we want to hear, the promise of his nearness has never changed. He is with us. He is near to us. John 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Silence can make us feel a lot of things. One of those things is distance. But the good news is, is that heavenly silence does not mean distance. God doesn't do distance. Can I get an amen? God does not do distance. To me, beginning to understand this gave me deep insight in how we can have great joy in moments that are void of earthly joy. This understanding that God is with us. That's the good news. That's the good news that causes great joy that heaven has invaded earth and so now we can look at hard painful sad and confusing things in our life with this nevertheless in our back pocket because we have seen the great light and it's the great light it's the nearness of God that causes great joy and this brought a lot of clarity to me to one of the most confusing verses in the Bible which is James 1 verse 2 which says this consider it pure joy my brothers And sisters, ladies, you're not getting out of this. When you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because, you know, the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. And let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And I would read this and go, man, that is a great idea, but that is impossible to actually do. I love the thought, but there's no way. How do you do that? Like, how in the world am I supposed to consider it the purest joy, the purest joy in my life when I'm going through the hardest thing in my life? I would be like, great thought, James. But like when I'm so mad at my wife where I can't even look at her. Right? Like I'm so frustrated at my boss that I I don't even think I could go into work 
on Monday, when I feel so misunderstood by my parents, when I, I look at the mountain of medical bills or the pile of debt of bad decision, and I'm like, where is the joy in any of that? Where's the joy? Like the, where is this pure joy supposed to come from when you're in the middle of the real, hard, dark, lonely, terrifying, confusing, frustrating, infuriating parts of life? And guess what? There's zero joy in that. There's zero joy in that. But write this down. Our joy doesn't come from what is in front of us. Our joy comes from who is with us. Our joy does not come from what's in front of us. Our joy comes from who is with us. And it's because the word became flesh and dwelt among us because we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. It's because of that that there is nothing in this life. There's no situation, there's no circumstance that can steal our joy because nothing can take him from us in his nearness. It's his nearness. It's that he's with us that causes joy to come over us. Seeing the great light changes everything. And it's in seeing the great light and understanding that he is with us, that he is near to us, that he has come to encounter us, to engage us, that we can stand in a situation and it could be like, you know what, I should be being crushed right now. I should be suffocating right now. I just got the worst news of my life and, and all of a sudden I'm not just feeling pain but I'm also experiencing joy. Not because what I'm going through is easy, but because his nearness causes a great joy to come from within me because he's with me. So you can be going through something hard and being like, turned down for what? You're not going to be able to steal my joy turned down for what? Turned down for what? Like I, I can have peace in the middle of this storm because he's with me. Turned down for what? You can't steal the hope that I have because my hope is in who he is and not what I hope God does. Therefore, I can be in the middle of a hopeless situation and be like, you can't steal this from me because my joy, my hope, my peace is not at all connected to what I see, what's happening to me, what's happening around me. All of those things are gifts that God has given me because the living God has come to dwell among us as one of us to rescue us from ourselves. So there's nothing that can steal your joy. Joy is not an emotion that we try to catch like a cold. Can I get an amen? You don't feel low and watch a funny movie and hope that you find joy in the middle of it. No, 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 no. Joy is a choice. I choose to be filled with joy even if I'm in a joyless situation in life because my joy is not connected to what I'm seeing or what I'm hearing or what is happening. My joy is connected to the God who is with me because nevertheless has happened. 
Isaiah 9 has happened, nevertheless, has happened inside of us. And we have to look at the challenge, difficulty, sickness, fear, and chaos of our circumstances and choose joy. Considerate joy. And Nehemiah tells us something pretty crazy. He says that the joy of the Lord is our strength. I love that. The joy of the Lord is our strength. So the strength that you might need right now in the fight that you're in against the lies and the fear and the crap that the enemy is trying to tell all of us in hard things, hard, confusing circumstances, there is a strength for us that comes when we choose the joy of God in the heart. The strength that we need is actually in the joy that we have access to. God is here. Amen. Jesus has come. And because he is here, it causes a great joy in all people. Amen. Stand to your feet. We want to respond to this invitation for us. To be those who choose joy in the middle of hard because even though it feels like heaven is silent, God is not near or God is not far from us. He is near to us. And so if you are in a silent season and you need heaven to open up over your life, I believe that God wants to encourage you by breaking through the silence in your life and reminding you of his nearness. Maybe you're here and you need to be reminded that God has come in the nevertheless moment, that the gloom is gone, that the, that the fear is gone. Or maybe you're here and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And this hope and this peace and this joy that we're talking about, you, you've never known Today is your day. Jesus came for you for this moment so that you can surrender your life to him, repent of your sins, and trust in him. And so in a minute, we're going to sing. I'm going to pray and we're going to sing. And my, my leaders, just begin to make your way down. You know who you are. Just begin to come on down. If you're a leader, if you don't think that that's you and you lead something around here, that is you. We need you. No one's coming. I'm going to stay here until people come because people want to be prayed for. And we pray for people here at Antioch. And so if you need anything, man, if you need the heavens to open up over your life, if you need a word, a fresh word, a fresh touch, you need God to just break in and break through. Whatever it is that you need, we want to believe with you today because God is near. He's with us. He's for us. He's never left us. He's never forsaken us. And therefore, because of his nearness, there's nothing that can steal the joy that he has for us. I'm going to pray. We're all going to respond if you need prayer for anything or any of those things I mentioned, just begin to make your way forward. Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your glory. And Lord, we're asking that right now that every heart that is heavy, every place of need for a word, a, a place of need or of a breakthrough, God, we're just saying right now, would you come? And just like you did in Luke 2, would you disrupt 
the silence with the declaration of your nearness? And would it cause a heavenly joy to erupt from within us? Lord, we're thankful for you. We're thankful that you came. We're thankful what you gave us because you did. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.